that's what makes us tough. And we keep a coming. We're the people that live. They can't wipe us out. They can't lick us. The change has started, and the change in Detroit is real. We're back! Yeah! yeah. Here, you can actually see what you do affect a great American city and it's it's hopefully historical comeback. Welcome in to Opportunity Detroit. Hi, this is Paul W. Smith. Today, Christine Klostra will check in with us, Executive Director of Marketing and Communications for the Detroit Institute of Arts. Katrina Wilson is the owner of Creme Brulee Salon. We'll say hi to Lisa Ludwinski the owner of Sister Pie. They're all taking advantage of Opportunity Detroit, and it's all happening right here, right now. Detroit, Michigan. First up, we say hi to Christine Klustra. Christine is Executive Director of Marketing and Communications for the Detroit Institute of Arts, this wonderful institution founded in 1885. The museum actually was originally located on Jefferson Avenue, but due to its rapidly expanding collection, it moved to the current site on Woodward Avenue in 1927. And I'm I'm happy to say that it has only continued to grow and become one of the finest institute of arts in the country. And Christine Klostra, rather, you must be proud of that. I am so proud. I've been here at the DIA for just over 10 years, and um, every minute of it has been exciting and interesting, and it's a beautiful place to work. Well, when you, when you do what you do at the DIA, when you connect people to art with programs, resources, uh, really an intentionally diverse collection among the, the top in the nation with over 65,000 works, it gives you something to really look forward to when coming to work. It really does. Um, it's it's a beautiful building to be in. It's nice to be able to take time in the middle of the day and walk down and, and look at some of our amazing collection. Um, <clears throat> being able to walk through the, the Detroit industry murals every morning is, is, is really special. How would you, in your position now, Executive Director of Marketing and Communications for uh, Detroit Institute of Arts, how would you, Christine Klostrup, describe Detroit's art scene today? Oh, the city has such a vibrant art scene, and it has for has for decades. Um, we're fortunate to have a number of Detroit artists in our collection, um, including works that have been here for many years by people like Charles McGee and Gilda Snowden and Tyree Guyton. Um, and more recently, we've acquired works by Mar- Mario Moore, Tylon Sawyer, and just last week we added a work by Shirley Woodson. Um, she was the popular subject of a popular solo exhibition at the museum several months ago, and is quite a Detroit legend in in the arts community. How what's it like for you? Because um, I'm sure it's a reaction that's similar across the the board around the country when a a museum, a museum of art art museum, call it what you will, runs into trouble with with authenticity of the product they have. Oftentimes, product that was acquired by people long before them, and obviously they thought it was authentic, but turning out not to be like the museum in Orlando and some other places, that must send shutters. You've been there 10 years, but there's a lot of art there that's been there a lot longer than 10 years and that was acquired by other people when you weren't even involved. 
What do you do to, to fight those concerns about authenticity with what you do have on display? So our curators and our conservation department are always working to um, look into the provenance of art and make sure that all of our works come from where we believe they came from. Um, we have scientists on staff who can analyze paint chips to make sure that they are from the appropriate time frame. We have an imaging lab that can take x-rays um, of works. So we're constantly making sure that we're evaluating everything in the collection, both new, new acquisitions and works that have been here for decades to ensure that they're authentic. You also do so much to get the community involved. Talk a little bit, if you would, about, in fact, some of your community programs that you're very proud of. Yeah, we're proud of, so proud of our community programs. Um, and most of those are part of our millage agreements with Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties. Um, as part of those agreements, we reinvest back into the community with programs like Inside Out, where we place reproductions of work from the museum and parks in downtowns throughout the Tri-Counties, or Partners in Public Art, where local artists work directly with community members to design and create large-scale public art projects. We also provide free field trips with bus transportation for Tri-County students, and we have free visits for groups of seniors. Um, we also provide transportation for them. And since the pandemic, we've also um, supplemented all of that with a lot of online programming. We offer online field trips now for students that can't necessarily make the trip down to the DIA. We have a weekly online program for seniors every Thursday at 1 p.m. Um, and so it's been really great to sort of increase that access to the museum by providing online programming. What are some of the uh, some of the current and upcoming exhibitions that you're excited about? Well, right now we have a great photography exhibition called Conscious Response. It features not only internationally acclaimed photographers like Diane Arbus, but also a number of local photographers such as Brian Day and Corrine Vandermeulen. But what we're most excited about is the upcoming Van Gogh in America exhibition. It opens on October 2 and is going to feature 74 works from around the world by Vincent Van Gogh. And it celebrates the 100th anniversary of the DIA's acquisition of his self-portrait, which was the first work by the artist to enter the collection of a museum in the U.S. Um, we're always very proud of the things that Detroit did first. And, and, and being the first museum to acquire Van Gogh is a really special thing. Wow. Um, yeah. Tickets are um, available right now for DIA members, but they go on sale to the public on August 30, so just a couple weeks. How do you become a DIA member? You go online to DIA.org and you click member, and it's really easy. You can also call, um, call the museum at 313-833-4005 um, to become a member or get tickets for um, Van Gogh after August 30, or ask any question you need answered about the museum. Yeah, it, it's so uh, it's so open to the people. You work so hard uh, to to make it. I think one of the greatest. You mentioned it a moment ago, and I meant to jump in and say something. But <laughs> the whole idea of bringing art to the people, I think, was a brilliant stroke, and really serves the people, everyone well, because a lot of people mean well and say, "I got to get to the." Museum of Art, the Institute of Arts, but they don't. And bringing that artwork to the people is helping everybody, children, adults, everyone in between, uh, to really appreciate art and to maybe get a even better understanding of what we have, 
which is one of the finest in the country and in the world. It really is. And, you know, Paul, the other thing that it's important for people to understand is, you know, we have a lot more than art here, too. Um, we have a great film program. We have family programs on the weekend where families can enjoy a puppet show or do an art project. Um, we have a, a, a beautiful cafe. So if you just want to come in and have a glass of wine and a lunch with a friend, um, you're more than welcome to enjoy Kresge Court as well. Um, so there's a lot of things to do here. We have live music. Um, there's a lot more than just art on the walls. A lot more than just art on the walls. But if I were to try to, and this is like asking who your favorite child is, and I know that that's, <laughs> that's impossible, but honestly, in the world of art, and we are measured by the world, uh, as the executive director of marketing and communications for our Detroit Institute of Arts, Christine Klostra, tell us what you think are the top one or top three selling points of why the DIA is must-see. Okay. I can absolutely, I, I'll try to limit it to three. Um, <laughs> surely, well done already. Well done already. <laughs> surely um, the Diego Rivera murals are, are really, you know, they've been described as the Sistine Chapel of America. Um, they're a national landmark, um, and they are not to be missed. They're really, they are stunning, and, and it's always exciting to watch people see them for the first time and stand in awe with their, with their heads up and, and see just how massive they are. Um, another really important part of our collection is our African-American collection. We were the first museum in the United States to devote a curatorial department to African-American art. Um, and our African-American collection spans centuries, all the way from the 1700s to the current day. And, and it's um, really important for people to, to understand that, that, you know, it's not all just contemporary art. Um, and then I think for my last, oh, you're going to make me pick one last. Oh, if you want to throw a couple more in there, go ahead. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I think the third thing is maybe a little self-serving. Um, as a as a as a person of Dutch heritage, our Dutch collection is really beautiful, and I think often under-celebrated because it's hidden away up on the third floor. Um, but it's a really beautiful collection. It's one of the best in the world. And and throw into that, of course, you're. Your acquisition of uh, the early Van Gogh, I mean, that's, or as they say back at his home, Van Gogh, um, it, it, that's certainly a very big deal and, and stands out among art collectors and admirers worldwide. Yeah, it's a really, it's a great story, and we're really excited to tell it in that exhibition later this year. Um, we were, again, the first one to acquire work by Van Gogh, but the museums after us were all located in the Midwest. The next five museums were all in the Midwest. So it's a good sort of regional story as well that we were ahead of the game on, on the East Coast and the West Coast in terms of Van Gogh. Yeah, the, the, good, good of us to prove it to those people who think of us merely as flyover areas. Anyway. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there have been a lot of talks about admission and passing millages and getting free admission. Are we at a free admission stand right now? Absolutely. General admission to the museum is always free for residents of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties. So since 2012, anybody who's got a zip code in those three counties gets into the museum for free. There is um, often for big exhibitions big blockbusters like the Van Gogh, an additional ticket charge, but those are discounted for the residents of those three counties as well. Doesn't get any better than that. That was the best vote they could uh, ever come up with to help all of us. 
uh, enrich our lives with what the Detroit Institute of Art uh, does provide for us. Go to DIA.org. DIA.org. Go to, uh, you said, I think, just plain simply membership, maybe. And if you, you want to join, but there's lots of other information there as well. All right. Well, I think more of us should join, actually. DIA.org. I've got to check my membership. These things expire, and I never pay attention, and I, I have to double-check when we talk like this. So I'm going to go to DIA.org today and double-check that and the membership to support you in every way that we can. Keep up the good work, Christine Klostra. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Christine Klostra, the Executive Director of Marketing and Communications, Detroit Institute of Arts. As we continue here on Opportunity Detroit. Next up, a tasty story. We have the owner of Creme Brulee Salon, Katrina Wilson, joins us on Opportunity Detroit. Hello, Katrina. Hello, good morning. It's so nice to have you on the program with us today. Uh, what a tasty name. How'd you come up with the name Creme Brulee for your salon? So Creme Brulee is a rendition of, is, is pretty much who I am. Um, I don't know if anyone out there has had Creme Brulee, but just, just to bring you to how to make the dessert, very simple ingredients, make milk, eggs, and cream, um, but you need two special things to have, uh, you know, to make the ingredients. You need a ramekin pan and you need a, a, a torch, and I, I feel like that's pretty much who I am. After you get the creme brulee set and molded, you flash torch it, and there's a thin, crispy layer on the outside. So that's pretty much who I am. I'm thin, crispy layer on the outside, but I am really <laughs> light, fluffy, airy on the inside if you get to know me. Wow. So I am creme brulee. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure meeting you, creme brulee. I've always nice enjoyed you. you. <laughs> uh, and, and this is uh, what you called one of Detroit's first luxury multicultural salons located in the Milwaukee Junction neighborhood. You opened in spring of 2021. You were delayed a year due to the pandemic, I guess. I sure was. I actually, it was actually a little bit more than a year. I actually uh, signed my lease with um, with the platform in November of 2019. And 23 no's before I got my first yes. And um, it was definitely a journey when I first got my first yes, and that's when the pandemic hit, and we were delayed. But I am so ever grateful and, and humbled to to be here. What a, a, an excellent life lesson for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur. And we've heard this time and time again from people, even people who were told, don't even think about it, you'll never do it, or you're never going to be successful at this or any number of other things to try to dissuade you. 23 no's before your first yes. Yes, 23 no's. I, um, it, is, it was a very, uh, a very, very hard journey, a lot of uh, resilience, a lot of patience. Um, I tell people that all the time when I was pitching um, this idea to banks and to funders in the city of Detroit and, and trying to get people to understand my vision, they were like, what? Wait, you're, you want to spend a million dollars on a salon in Detroit? Not happening. Um, but now it's here and people cannot, you know, they can't stay away from it. I just just got my liquor license, so we're going to be a beauty lounge. We are elevating our experience here. 
Did you really spend a million dollars to put all this together? I did. I did a hundred thousand dollars of my um, my money, ten percent equity in the project. A million dollars salon here in Detroit. We deserve it. And you got your liquor license. Yes, yes, yes. A full class C liquor license. So in about a month, we're going to be rolling out um, a full bar. So you'll be able to come get a haircut and some whiskey, or uh, a <laughs> manicure and a pedicure and, and a cocktail. Oh my goodness. That is full service. Uh, it is. What, what is your background uh, that would uh, lead you this way, Katrina? So I, um, my background is a little all over the place. Um, I have been celebrity styling for about uh, 10 years. I've traveled and I've stayed in 11 different cities and states, and I've worked at numerous um, amounts of salons and Creme Brulee is a rendition and a collective of different salons I've worked at and different things that I've done. I wanted to create a multicultural beauty salon because the beauty industry is so segregated. It's like if you're white, you go to a white salon. If you're black, you go to a black salon. Hmm. Just imagine if you have white or black brands and you, 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 know, you all want to get serviced in one place. It's merely impossible. I wanted to create a place that everyone could get service regardless of ethnicity, race, gender preference, um, and we have done that. But it took for me to not only go back to corporate America and, and work for five years to really understand business, but it also took for me to get my master's in business administration. I'm currently pursuing my doctoral degree um, in business administration because I am very passionate about business, not only the salon industry, but just business in a whole. So I think that my business is a reflective of who I am from the beauty industry and corporate America because I have really taken the time to understand business from the back end, and I've really taken the time to understand business by getting experience within my industry. Wow, that you've just said a mouthful, and and we do know this, you are an overachiever, which is good for I, us. <laughs> which I mean, that's excellent. If you're a potential customer of Creme Bru- Creme Brulee Salon, you want to know that the owner founder Katrina Wilson is all of the things she just talked about, and that she is striving for. Tell us the nuts and bolts, if you would, Katrina. Maybe about some of the services you offer at Creme Brulee uh, Salon and, and maybe the ones that you do in an extra special way that you're making a name for yourself by accomplishing Detroit's first luxury multicultural salon. So we're a full-service salon. That means we do hair, blowouts. Uh, haircuts. We we have barbers here. We do makeup here. We do massages here. We do manicures, pedicures, um, esthetician services as far as facials, waxing. We do have a private room for our celebrity clients and a a private interest for them. We um, are making a name for ourselves because we are we are doing something that's called a luxury beauty affair where we host spa parties. We get a lot of traction from around the state for different women that are brides, uh, birthday parties, where they get together a group of girls or a group of guys, and they come in here and they get everything, the bells and whistles. We just hosted a party uh, of 16 women. Um, They had a brunch thing where we had an omelet station. We had uh, different liquor vendors to come in. We got uh, massages, manicures, pedicures, facials, and blowouts. It was 
it was a day to remember um, for this bride, and we're just so ever happy to be and share in those monumental moments to make people's day. So we are making a name for ourselves by providing a luxury beauty affair with our spa parties. Well, it sounds, I mean, having a spa party like that and inviting some of your friends and having it catered and having the liquor license, if that's a part of your celebration, uh, makes yes. for a very, very special uh, time. Uh, one unlike uh, provided at most salons that we've become familiar with. Now, you did say uh, we have barbers, too. Does that automatically mean you, you do you have to have barbers to say that men are invited as well? No, we don't, but being here, we get a lot of walk-ins. We're on the corner, just to give you a visual, we're on the corner of Baltimore and Woodward. That is right here by CCS, Wayne State, the Pistons Performance Center, uh, Henry Ford, the Amtrak Station, and the White Castle. We get a lot of traffic. This is uh, an area that is being heavily gentrified, and it's a lot of multiculturalness around this area, so we get a lot of walk-ins. I didn't initially start with barbers. I didn't have that a part of my vision, but about six months in, realizing the traffic that we were getting for men's haircuts and, and men to get those services for self-care, um, I immediately uh, switched one of the, the stations around and created two barber stations, and we have been successful in that area. Excellent. I, you know, um, I thought that hairstylist covered both men and women, but I've noticed that this move going back to saying, you have hairstylists and barbers. It's kind of put it back again to the this side handles the w the women, this side handles the men. It seems to me, at least by observation. No, so there's some women that um, traditionally wear their hair shorter, like uh, like men. The differentiation, I think, that when I say barber, meaning that uh, there's a tapering, there's a fading, because if you just say stylist, some stylists only provide haircuts to like uh, maybe an inch, but there's some hairstyles that require some techniques to go under an inch, maybe a half an inch or a milli inch, and only barbers are trained to use a straight razor or certain clipper guards to have a certain hair cut um, that low. So. That's what I mean by that. Oh, okay. That's an, an, another little bit of information learned for the first time. So it, the barbers handle the shorter haircuts for men or women. Yes, that's correct. So the barbers um, traditionally handle both sides of the fence um, and I, I traditionally one day had a hairstylist trying to do a barber cut and that's when I realized that it's so much of a difference. It is, it, it's so different. Hmm. Fascinating. All right. Very good to know. Um, there have been a lot of changes, or at least, again, observationally, in, in manicures. What's the very latest uh, high-tech manicure that you offer? We offer A-Press Gelex, and we offer um, Russian manicures. So Russian manicures is a technique that they started in Russia. Um, we have uh, our world-renowned world renowned nail tech, he's a celebrity nail tech, and he definitely has, you know, furthered his education when it comes to these nail services just to watch him evolve and grow. Uh, this Russian manicure is not only the latest and the greatest, but it's going to be the most uh, effective when it comes to sanitation as far as things changing after COVID. Traditional manicures would involve you soak it in water and a lot of different things that um, 
utensils that would pick up certain type of germs. But the Russian manicure is a special technique and a special process that was developed in Russia that it has found its way here. And we are certified in it and we have been performing it. Um, and then the A-Press Gel X, is, it's a modern-day press-on, I would say, but it's a manicure that lasts uh, three weeks to um, a month. It's equivalent to what we were wearing probably a couple years ago to the shellac. Uh, it allows women that are in high-profile areas as far as uh, health care and, and um trucking and different things where their hands are traditionally used a lot more than other women. So this is a technique good for people that are harder on their hands. Um, so those are the latest and the greatest, and we offer them both here. I have, I can safely say, not that I'm in this world to, to hear these things, but I have never heard anyone refer to the Russian manicure style ever. Actually, I might have heard jokes about Putin and what he might do with Russian manicures with some some <laughs> some people, but it's not anything we want to. It's nothing we want to sign up for. Correct. <laughs> uh, but meanwhile, again, tell everyone uh, exactly where you are, Katrina, so they can come visit Creme Brulee Salon. Yes, we are at six four zero six Woodward Avenue on the corner of Baltimore and Woodward. Some landmarks that will be familiar uh, are the Amtrak station. College for Creative Studies and the White Castle. Uh, we are actually accepting um, new clients for limited services. You can either call the salon at 313-800-5335. You can check us out on any social media platform at Creme Brulee Detroit or our website at cremebruledetroit.com. Kem, uh, creme brulee detroit.com or 313-800-5335. Did I get that right? I was trying to write you it down. You absolutely did. Yes, you got it. 313 <laughs> or creme brulee detroit.com. Uh, well, congratulations, Katrina. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to hear about some of your other things that you're going to add to your uh, first luxury multicultural salon in Detroit there uh, at Baltimore and uh, Woodward. Thanks so much for being with us on Opportunity Detroit. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to servicing you all in the future. Have a all phenomenal right. day. Uh, thank you. You have a phenomenal day as well as we continue on Opportunity Detroit. We have this week's Opportunity Detroit on a very sweet note. That's because we're talking about somebody who came into our attention in the fall of 2012 when she launched her company. And it was a, a holiday. It was Thanksgiving. And she was working out of her parents' kitchen in Milford. She baked and sold 40 pies, which right now may not seem like many, but it probably felt like a ton back then in 2012 when Lisa Ludwinski launched Sister Pie. And I like to say the rest is history, but I can't skip over it that easily. Lisa Ludwinski, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Opportunity Detroit. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be here. Well, we remember the beginning. 
We remember that it, it really caught our attention, this name, Sister Pi. Explain to people how that came to be your name for this wonderful creation. Well, Sister Pi was actually a nickname that my younger sister, Sarah, and I started calling each other when we were in college. And so when I was thinking about opening a business and wanting it to be baked goods focused and with the timing of Thanksgiving, knowing I'd be making pies, the nickname popped back into my head. And um, my sister and I don't really call each other that anymore, but uh, it's now come to mean a lot more for us here at the business um, as we kind of, you know, think about making pie and, and, and the sort of values and, and stretching our definition of what sisterhood can mean in a business. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the other times we talked to you was, uh, again, memory serves me, right after you won one of those Hatch Detroit Awards. Yeah, I think that was the first time we talked, back in 2014, actually. We won the $50,000 prize for Hatch Detroit, which really helped us kind of launch into the next phase of the business, which was opening the brick-and-mortar space at the corner of Parker and Kirchival in the West Village, where we are still today. Beautiful. It, it, it's hard to believe it was all of this was uh, back starting in 2012. It seems like you've been... Uh, well, it it seems like you were just started, and it seems like you've been around forever, if that makes any sense. Uh, oh, it definitely makes sense to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you lived it. Yeah, I can't it. believe it's our 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just crazy. And along the way, you've done different things to get attention and to raise money. Uh, didn't you have a 24-hour dance marathon at one point? We sure did. Back when we were you know, opening up the store. And after we got the hatch money and some loans, we still needed about, you know, 25 grand to really kind of get us over the hump to open. And so we thought, why not just throw a 24 hour dance party? No big deal. <laughs> and um, I ended up personally dancing for 24 hours straight oh. and we raised just over $25,000. So I would say it was worth it. I don't know if I could do that now, but um, I've never seen bruises on my toes until that moment. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, bruises on your toes. Wow, wow, wow. Hey, uh, you, uh, when you opened, I recall this from conversation, when Sister Pie opened April 24th, 2015, you had a line out the door. You had a dozen new employees, and, and you've been hustling ever since. Do you still get that kind of reaction where, for special occasions and such, you have lines out the door? Yes, for sure. And, you know, actually, for the past two years, we had been operating uh, as sidewalk sales only. So we had a counter outside our door. And so folks would line up outside. And this was, of course, due to COVID. And it was kind of a way for us to try and keep everyone safe. And then we realized once we did that, that we didn't have any space inside for customers anymore because we kind of stretched out. But actually, just a couple weeks ago, we reopened inside we're not doing dine-in right now, but we have the pastry case and everyone can come in and see it and smell the cookies. So it's actually been really nice and kind of reinvigorating these past couple weeks to kind of go back to that kind of normal. Are you, are you selling online now in big numbers? So we do pre-orders. Yeah, I think our, our pre-orders have definitely increased over the years. So basically when you come to Sister Pie, you can either – pre-order one day in advance on our website at sisterpie.com. 
Um, you can do it up to a week in advance, pretty much. And or you can come and get first come first serve. So we make sure that we have plenty set aside for customers who want to come on a whim. But if you're driving from, you know, 40 minutes away and you want to make sure you get what you want, pre-ordering is always a good option. So it's kind of um, a mix of what we do. When you started, uh, you got a lot of, or significant, I'll call it, significant national press and attention, which is all great and has great potential. But it appears to me that you have, at least at this moment, felt that the connection to our great city of Detroit, your home, uh, is most important right now. And that seems to be where you're, you're you know, putting all your eggs that you use in those pies into the Detroit basket. Right. Yeah. We, um, you know, I grew up in, in Milford, you know, where I started baking those pies and I didn't spend as much time in Detroit as a child, like so many people in my generation and being in the city now and amongst other incredible businesses and neighbors who are committed to the city and, and thinking about running businesses differently. Um, I feel so inspired all the time by my surroundings. And so I kind of feel really focused on staying in Detroit and not expanding. You know, we don't, we're not interested in multiple locations or shipping our product. We kind of want to stay right here and just try to make the business better and better from this sort of small perspective that we have. Kind of exciting to be approached by someone to write a cookbook and that seemed to go well for you. Yes, that was great. That was back in 2016 that I was approached, and then it came out in 2018, and it's still selling copies. It's a great way for us to share the recipes with folks who live all over the country, um, but, you know, it still doesn't prevent people from coming to visit and try some pie. I just served a customer this morning who had the cookbook and, and really wanted to come and see what the bakery was all about, came all the way from Ohio, so that was kind of cool, and we also teach baking classes. We teach how to make pie dough, savory hand pies, scones, our egg on top galettes. And so that's really cool for people who, you know, have the cookbook and have maybe been practicing at home, but then can sort of take that to the next level by coming for an in-person class. Well, it's a great uh, concept idea that I'm sure is getting a lot of attention uh, because that's one of the toughest things. And this, what I'm reading here is in 2016, you started offering pie dough classes, uh, which is at the heart right. of every great pie, let's face it. Do you have a favorite pie? Oh, how much time do you have? I oh, have a see. favorite pie for every season. But, you know, I would say that right now in late August is actually the best time for pie, if you're me, because I really like fruit pies. And so right now we've got a stone fruit cardamom streusel pie that has peaches and plums, and then a very buttery streusel on top. We also have a blueberry plum balsamic with a lattice top. Those are probably two of the best pies that we make. And they're around right now with a little whipped cream. Nothing mm. better. You're killing me. My mouth is watering. <laughs> I, I happen to love cherry pie, which is a good time for cherry pie. And always, yeah. too, pecan pie, which because I think it's so good for you besides being a delicious pie. Imagine. Absolutely. Imagine, if you will, and I'm sure you've thought about it, uh, Lisa Lodwinski, uh, the owner of Sister Pie. I, I just, it's hard to imagine back when, when you started your business in your parents' Milford kitchen, 
to now where you are today. Isn't that kind of, I, I know you worked very hard to get there, but it's still kind of awe-inspiring, isn't it? I just feel very grateful that there have been customers and, you know, my fellow coworkers who have kind of kept it going. And I think we've created a real, you know, community here in our pie shop. And that is why it's it's been able to be sustainable. And I feel really lucky to be able to show up and, and work with these folks every day and, and serve our regular customers. And I think as long as we, you know, try to keep doing what we're doing and keep experimenting with flavors, hopefully we'll have another 10 years ahead. Well, uh, you feel lucky and that's good. You feel grateful and that's good. We feel lucky as customers. Uh, we feel lucky and grateful that you're in our area and you serve up such a sweet, wonderful, uh, delicious dessert to us. Uh, you can never go wrong eating pie. It's, it's just, it has an overall wonderful effect on virtually everyone. And I thank you for all that you've done to make that uh, possible. Uh, congratulations, too, on the cookbook. You've sold over 40,000. This might be an old number, maybe way more than that. Can you get the book at sisterpie.com as well? You can actually get the book at our shop. We don't sell them uh, online, but I also recommend, uh, you know, my favorite bookstores in Detroit, 27th Letter Books, Source Booksellers, and Pages Bookshop. Um, they all sell copies of the book as well. Um, so you can really find them at most bookstores in the city. And thank you so much. I, I think the number is a little closer to 70,000 now. Oh, my goodness. This is an old <laughs> number. This is an old number. Yeah. 70,000. Copies, that's a bestseller. And, and, and forgive me for the foolish question. I don't have the book, and I don't see a picture of it anywhere. Is it called Sister Pie? It is. It's called Sister Pie. I think Recipes and Stories from a Big-Hearted Bakery in Detroit is the subtitle. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And where, where exactly do we find our favorite Sister Pie location? So... We are located at the corner of Parker and Kerchival in the West Village of Detroit. So just past Van Dyke, and we're a little corner spot. Can't miss us. Neon sign. <laughs> Can't yeah. miss the neon sign. Well, that's hot excellent. Hot pink neon sign. Thank All right, you. <laughs> excellent. Yep, yep. Hot pink and neon never go out of style. Uh, Parker and Kerchival. It's Sister Pie. We started this conversation somewhere after 2012 when she started and launched Sister Pie and has done such a great job. She has fans, and Sister Pie has fans, all across the country, and they're doing a great job, and we're lucky to have them in our own backyard taking care of business. Congratulations to you, Lisa Ludwinski uh, and Sister Pie, and we'll look forward to another conversation another time. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me again. It's our pleasure. Uh, we love to see the entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial spirit that we find all the time here uh, when we seek out to excellence on Opportunity Detroit. So thanks to all of our guests and especially thanks to you for being with us. I'll wake you up Monday through Friday from 6 till 9 on WJR. You go on out make it a great rest of the day, and we'll see you next time. Regards, Paul W. Smith.